Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Today's podcast is not a podcast, at least not as you, dear listener, I used to every Tuesday. I'm taking the liberty to quote George Orwell first. Allowing the book, after all being a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. In today's podcast, you get to have a deep theoretical and philosophical insight of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. In our latest event, Giraffe Heroes Foundation founder Tom Amat read from four authors who tried to give their compatriots a wake-up call as long as there was still time. And this is what he and the Giraffe Heroes Foundation team wants, to make a wake-up call to the society in these times of unprecedented changes in our natural and societal environment. The question is... Is there still time now? The texts are extracted from René Guénon, The Crisis of the Modern World, and George Orwell's Proscript to 1984. He also read Brave New World Revisited from Aldous Huxley and The End of Belzebub's Tales to His Grandson by George Gottschew. So I kindly invite you to enjoy these passages, to reflect and, why not, to philosophize a little with us. So please lean back and enjoy the reading. Okay, I'm allowed to sit and I'm going to mostly read you something. We had such great lecturers before me, so I will rather read you something and then see what can be said about what I'm reading. The title is When Time is Running Out is there a shortcut? I coined this title after several meetings with Humadi, our new giraffing personality, because for Humadi a key term is die Verkürzung der Strecke, the shortening of the distance. Now, what distance? The distance between creation and the created or in German, as we hear it later, later between der Schöpfung und dem Geschöpf. Now, we are living through extremely critical times right now. Shocking times. In March 2020, I wrote a little piece on our blog about the horror people of older age are going through because they are separated from their grandchildren, from their children, in the name of their health. That's utterly sick. It makes you cry. I will read you some texts. Two of them, two of the most important ones, have been introduced to me by Orgdoy, the Amelinger. And anyway, the friendship between Andre and me, and hopefully soon Katarina and all these giraffing people we are identifying, 
is what gives me strength and Angela strength and Ralph who is on our board strength because we need all of us to stay the course. Okay, it's fascinating to see that the situation we are in is at least a hundred years old and everything what I'm going to read now has been written between 1925 and 1961. If mankind would have learned from what happened in the first half of the 20th century, we would not need to free the bees today. The crisis of the modern world. Politics seem to be altogether controlled by finance and trade competition seems to be the dominant in determining the relations between people. It may be that this is only so in appearance and that these factors are really not so much causes as means of action, but the choice of such means is a clear sign of the character of the period to which they are suited. Everything controlled by finance and competition. Moreover, our contemporaries are convinced that it is almost exclusively economic conditions that dictate historical events and that they even imagine that it always has been so. A theory has even been invented according to which everything is to be explained by economic factors alone and has been named significantly historical materialism. There you go. Economic factors have really come to decide almost everything what occurs in the social sphere. It is true that the masses have always been led in one manner or another and could be said that their part in history consists primarily in allowing themselves to be led, since they represent a merely passive element, a matter in the Aristotelian sense of the word. But in order to lead them today, in order to lead them today, it is sufficient to dispose of purely material means, this time in the ordinary sense of the word, and this shows clearly to what depths our age has sunk. To lead something, you give him a bigger carrot and you can lead him. At the same time, and this is the most important, at the same time, the masses are made to believe that they are not being led but that they are acting spontaneously and governing themselves. And the fact that they believe this is a sign from which the extent of their stupidity may be inferred. So the takeaway of this first paragraph is that the led believe that they are leaders leading themselves. Even if we admit that material development has certain advantages, though indeed from a very relative point of view, the sight of consequences such as those just mentioned leads one to question whether they are not far outweighed by the inconveniences. We say this without referring to the many things of incomparably greater value that have been sacrificed to this one form of development, we do not speak of the higher knowledge that has been forgotten, the intellectuality that has been overthrown, and the spirituality that has disappeared. 
simply taking modern civilization on its merits, we affirm that if the advantages and inconveniences of what has been brought about were set against each other, the result may well be on balance proved to be negative. The inventions whose lumber is at present growing at an ever-increasing pace are all the more dangerous in that they bring into play forces whose real nature is quite unknown to the men who utilize these inventions. And the ignorance is the best proof of the worthlessness of modern science as an explanatory means, that is to say considered as knowledge, even where one's attention confined entirely to this physical realm. At the same time, the fact that such ignorance in no way interferes with the practical applications proves that this science in reality directed only to practical ends and that it is industry that is the only real object of all this research. The danger inherent in these inventions, even in those that are not expressly created for a purpose destructive to mankind, but which nonetheless cause just as many catastrophes without mentioning the unsuspected disturbances they create in the physical environment will undoubtedly continue to grow and that to an extent difficult to foretell so that as we already have shown it is by no means improbable it will be through these new inventions that the modern world will bring about its own destruction. A last word from him about sports. In such a world there is no longer any place for intelligence or anything else that is purely inward. For these are things that can neither, neither be seen nor touched, that neither can be counted or weighed. There is a place only for outward action in all its forms, even those that are the most completely meaningless. For this reason, it should not be a matter of surprise that the Anglo-Saxon mania for sport gains ground day by day. The ideal of the modern world is the human animal. The human animal who has developed his muscular strength to the highest pitch. Its heroes are athletes, even though they may be more brutes. It is they who awaken popular enthusiasm and it is their exploits that command the passionate interest of the crowd. A world in which such things are seen has indeed sunk low and seems near its end. All this was René Guénon. René Guénon has lived from 1897 to, I think, 1951. He is rather unknown today, especially in the English-speaking world and German-speaking world, in fact. That's why I have read these things to you, because what he has analyzed in a metaphysically and scientific metaphysics mind, completely crystal clear, is what our problem is today. And his, one of his chef d'oeuvre called the reign of quantity and the signs of the time is all about what we are going through today. Statistics are being reduced to pure number plays and don't apply even the rules of good mathematics anymore. But it's only the quantity 
what counts and we are being reduced to units, right? We are all units and we all have numbers and that's the way we are meant to be governed by the reigning establishment. So here comes a short text now. A certain mister, you will guess, probably says about his main work, allowing for the book after all being a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. But always there will be the intoxication of power. Always at every moment there will be the thrill of victory the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture, a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. I no, it's going on, sorry. I found the, the facsimile of this last letter of Orwell's, which he wrote when, as you probably know, he finished his 1984 book with tuberculosis, fighting death, and in the most horrible pressure you can imagine. Yeah, and here it's written. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. Now, the first text was 1925. Even the Second World War hadn't happened yet. Even the Nazis hadn't taken over the government yet. And nevertheless, it foresees brilliantly out of the situation you could read in society and what was going around you what we are facing today. Now, the next text, which I read before the last one, is a text by a guy you also then quickly will know who it is. I found on a brilliant website, which is called the, the Academy of Ideas, Free Minds for a Free Society. It's run by two Canadian brothers who are after the truth, the true truth. And they even don't give their names, who they are. Contrary to the modern claim of authorship mania, right? So what these guys write here, or put together, reads like this. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. That's Goethe, as you might know. There will be in the next generation or so a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a kind of painless concentration camp for entire societies 
so that people will in fact have their liberties taken away from them but will rather enjoy it because they will be distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda or brainwashing or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be the final revolution. Aldous Hux Huxley write in a lecture in 1964, to learn through pleasure is not possible anymore. A key thing for Huxley was the psychological experiments by Skinner, right? And Skinner has proven that when you teach something by pain, then when the pain is gone, the old habit comes back. But if you teach someone by giving him pleasure, even if the pleasure is taken away, the guy still will seek for the pleasure and don't return to his old habit. So it shows, in other words, what I just tried to say, pleasure is more dangerous than pain. All of you are, we are all afraid of pain, right? But be aware that you better are afraid of pleasure. And that is not only true for a stupid Buddhist like myself. In Brave New World, the Soma habit was not a private vice. It was a political institution. The daily Soma ration was an insurance against personal maladjustment, social unrest and the spread of subversive ideas. Religion, Marx declared, is the opium of the people. In the Brave New World, the situation is reversed. Opium, or rather Soma, was the people's religion. So these two brothers from Canada commenting on these Huxley observations just conclude, if the current trends continue, humanity may soon be divided into two groups. There will be those who welcome their pleasurable servitude and those who choose to resist, to resist it for the sake of retaining not just their liberty, but their humanity. For, as a former slave, Frederick Douglass noted in the mid-19th century, long before Huxley wrote Brave New World, when a slave becomes a happy slave, he has effectively relinquished all that which makes him human. I am now turning to the question what can be done? Time is running out, is there a shortcut? To give you an idea in what direction it goes, what needs to be done, I'm going to read you the very end of Belzebub's tales to his grandson. The key and main work of Gordiev, again thanks to Andre, I stuck my nose deeper into Gurdjieff. And this book anyway, the Belzebub Tales, right, is extraordinary 
if not alone for the very effect that it makes the Belzebub, who normally is the devil, right? It makes the evil, in fact, the representative of all what is good in human striving. And this Belzebub in that book, Belzebub's Tales to his grandson, is traveling to Earth several times in past ages. The most, the very last time, of course, in the 20th century. And what he has experienced and what he is trying to do, he is telling his grandson. Because his grandson, Hassan, is extremely interested in the human being and he adores his grandfather. And so when the two guys find themselves on a spaceship traveling from, if I recall correctly, from Jupiter to, <laughs> I forgot, anyway, they have to attend a conference somewhere else in space. And since these travels tell, take a few weeks, the grandpa tells, the Belzebub tells to his Hassan grandchild all what he has done on Earth for the good of the human race. For example, he has come repeatedly to try to bring people off the habit of life sacrifices, right? animal sacrifice or worse, and so on. And so, but then the whole trip comes, they reach their destination and just before this spaceship is going to stop, uh, Belzebub asks his grandson, okay, my dear Hassan, uh, we haven't much time left, but you can ask one last question if you want, but please uh, make it possibly a short question because I will later be able to tell you whatever you like in that rather extensive manner as before, but now this time we just have not time left. Time is running out, so make it short. So then the Hassan, then the grand, I thought I have written here from a different point. So, and then the Hassan, the grandchild, is becoming very quiet, thinks very carefully, and then stands up and asks his grandpa, how would you reply if our all-embracing creator endlessness himself, all right, all-embracing creator endlessness himself, or God in short, were to summon you before him and ask you this, Belzebub, you who are one of the hoped for, accelerated results of all my actualizations manifest briefly the conclusions of your impartial observations and studies over long centuries of the psyche of the three-centered beings that are the humans, three-centered beings arising on the planet Earth and they say whether it is still possible by any means to save them and to direct them into the becoming path. So in other words, Hassan asks the grandpa, grandpa, if you were to meet God, yeah, please, what would you ask 
and he says, yeah, I would ask him if it's still possible to save the human being and bring it back to the becoming path. The becoming path is actually a Hindu-Buddhist term because man and his becoming is the cause of your spiritual development over time to a true human being. So in the three-centered or three-brained beings, as which Gurdjieff describes us, three-brained beings, basically physical, psyche and spirit, right? They are so off the becoming paths, they are just going down. So is there any way to save them? Having said this, Hassan rose and standing in a posture of reverence, looked expectantly at Belzebub. Ahuns, that is a servant of Belzebub, also rose. Belzebub, smilingly, smiling lovingly at this question of Hassan, first said that he was now quite convinced that his tales had brought his grandson the results he had wished for. Then, in a serious tone, he went on to say that if our all-embracing uni-being creator should indeed summon him and ask him such a question, he would answer. Suddenly, Belzebub himself arose and stretching his hands far straight and back, directed his gaze somewhere far off and in a loud voice, not usual for him, proclaimed in penetrating tones. Though all and the allness of my wholeness, the sole means now of saving the beings of the planet Earth would be to implant in their presence a new organ, but this time having such properties that, that every one of these unfortunates during the process of his existence should constantly sense and be aware of the inevitability of his own death as well as of the death of everyone upon whom his eyes or attention rest. Only such a sensation and such an awareness could destroy the egoism now so completely crystallized in them that it has swallowed up the whole of their essence and at the same time uproot that tendency to hate others which flows from it. The tendency that engenders those mutual relationships which are the ch chief cause of all their abnorm abnormalities unbecoming to three brain beings and maleficent for them and for the whole of the universe. That was written in 1951, shortly before his death he finished it. You need to become self-conscious before you can do anything for a really common good. This self-consciousness is not normal self-consciousness. It's a consciousness of the true self and the great step if you are able to submerge yourself in it. But it's a precondition for any giraffe, 
for any giraffing personality to really become a true giraffing personality. Because if you don't have that standard of your self-consciousness, you can be manipulated. And all of us have since long noticed that we are being increasingly under a manipulation attack, which even drives our old friend circles apart. Thank you very much. <laughs> and there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. You'll find the stories of the Cantari alumni and the giraffe heroes, the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday in Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us will be coming to you. Dear listeners, if there is a friend, a family member, an organization, or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking the neck out, just nominate them as a giraffe hero or tell us about them. Come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 